My wife and I have always had this dream. Every once in a while, we'll polish it. When you say it out loud, it doesn't sound that spectacular. We'll buy a little homesteader cabin in the desert outside Los Angeles, build on it, start a small bed and breakfast, watch the sun rise and fall over the mountain peaks on either side of the valley, read and write and while away the hours. It sometimes feels like a far off dream and one we keep in our back pocket, one that comes up now and again on Saturday afternoon. And these days, the idea of that dream looms even larger. Seems like the perfect shelter from the COVID storm. Then again, if I'm being honest, I can't imagine anywhere feels like paradise right now. Which I think is what makes today's story so interesting. Why didn't you just throw your hands up and leave? Like give up and go home? The boat is our home, you know? I mean, and going home, there was really no home to go back to. I mean, all our money's in the boat. What if your getaway dreams had come true right now? From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Today, we're going to hear from someone who planned the trip of a lifetime, but got stuck in place because of the coronavirus. My name is Addison Proctor. I'm 46 years old, and I'm currently on a boat anchored in uh, Key Biscayne, Florida. Addison told Neon Hum producer Vikram Patel about the moment he realized his best laid plans were in a lot of trouble. This spring, Addison Proctor and his family set to work on a dream. It started with a drive every morning from the hotel where they were staying in Florida to a marina in Fort Lauderdale. And you cross over the bridge and you look to the left, you see a row of cruise ships. And you look to the right and you see my little boat, my little mast. That little mast was his family's most valuable possession, a 44-foot sailboat. And pretty soon, it would also be their home, a home that would carry them through the trip of a lifetime. We've all had some version of this experience in the past few months. At first, the virus felt far away, a distant reality. But then a clearer picture comes into view. It's getting closer. You start to feel surrounded. For Addison, the first news he heard about the coronavirus being in Florida was far from Fort Lauderdale. A few cases that sprung up in Tampa, a cruise ship being held offshore because of a few suspected cases on board. It seemed far away still. And then, one of those mornings, while driving over the bridge to the marina, much to Addison's surprise, he saw it. The cruise ship from the news. And I thought, wow, that's, we're right there, right downwind from this, you know, massive cruise ship that supposedly had sick people on it. All of a sudden we're like, oh, wow, it's in Florida and it's kind of like pretty close. A good thing we're getting out of here soon. The next day, when he was at the hotel pool with his family, crowds of people started pouring in. And then we realized that everybody in this hotel was, was from a cruise ship. A cruise ship? What if some of them were exposed? You know, we're starting to get nervous, but, you know, we're not going crazy. 
But we're starting to be like, okay, it's here, it's around, it's in the news. Every day there are a couple more cases of it. Good thing we're getting out of here soon. Addison tried to block it out. He focused on his boat, on the trip of a lifetime he'd planned with his family in their new vessel, the Chameleon. But then he found out that the marine store where he bought most of his supplies, where he went almost every day, he found out that one of the employees at that store was the first person in Fort Lauderdale to contract the virus. That was the moment where it hit home, where I thought, wow, we have to get out of here soon. Addison has been on the water since he was a little kid growing up on Lake Michigan. My first joy was going out in this boat around this lake uh, with my dog at the time. He and his wife Sally share a love for boats. When Sally was a little girl, she made friends with a French family that lived on a boat, and it made a lasting impression on her. She always thought, wow, what a weird, interesting, crazy life to live on this sailboat. And so it had been her dream. And when we got married, she's like, yeah, this is something I've always wanted to do. So we went out and did it. I was like, all right, sure, let's go do it. So after they were married, Sally and Addison bought a boat together, a 38-foot cutter, a monohull. And sailed it down to South America and back and through the Caribbean and Central America. And um, we had a great time. They spent two years at sea before rolling up their sails and moving to New York and starting their normal life. But they knew that wouldn't be their last time in the ocean. Sally and Addison agreed that once they had children, they would take another big boat trip as a family. It was like, before that we even thought about if we'd have a boy or a girl or whatever, what they'd be named, we thought they'll be on a sailboat with us. It was kind of a a given. With their dreams tucked away in a drawer, Addison and Sally settled down. They had two kids, Alice and Henry. They moved to California. And the next thing we knew, we turned around and our kids were like eight and ten, or at the time they were seven and nine. And it's kind of everybody that we had met who had been out sailing with kids are like, oh, there's a sweet spot. And it's like between the ages of like seven and 14, depending on the kids. And so we were like, that sweet spot is here. We, we, we should go. First things first, they had to decide where to go on their trip. So we'll buy a boat in Florida. We'll sail it down to Grenada for hurricane season. And then we'll go through the Panama Canal, and then we'll go to French Polynesia. And then we'll either sell it in French Polynesia, or we will possibly bring it back to either Hawaii or California. So this involves sailing across the Pacific Ocean? Yeah. That's awesome and terrifying. I, actually, it's not. It's, it is, I guess it's awesome, but it's not terrifying. People always say, oh, because the Pacific Ocean, that's such a long passage. It's, I, it would be hard to make a longer passage. It's around 3,000 miles. But the reality is the Pacific Ocean is named the Pacific Ocean for a reason. It's the most pacified ocean. It's the pleasant passage. But just deciding where to go was only the first step. They still had to figure out how to pay for it all. At that time, we didn't know exactly how we were going to make that happen. And, you know, six months later, we realized, okay the reality is we have to sell the house in order to go on this trip Um, because there's no way to keep this house and rent it out and then use that income to travel. It's going to have to be sell the house and then we do it. Would it be accurate for us to say that you sold your house to afford this trip? Oh, absolutely. There's been no way I could have gone on this trip without selling my house. Addison owned an apparel company, so he closed shop. 
The family sold one of their cars, said goodbye to their friends, and drove across the country. Addison and Sally had uprooted their family because they wanted to give their kids the kind of experience they had had 15 years earlier, being on their own, off the grid, and away from it all. I mean, you can stare out at, at the endless horizon of the ocean for hours and be entertained by just your own thoughts. And that's the allure of it. That's the lifestyle that we wanted for our kids. And so began what they called, simply, the boat trip. They found a fixer-upper catamaran in Miami. The kids named it Chameleon. It's an ideal vessel for their trip, with one side of the boat for the kids and the other for Addison and Sally. But to me, it sounds pretty small for a family of four and their dog. I think it's around 450 square feet of, of space, of living space. So, you know, I'll tell you, like the cabin, each one of the cabins, I could spread my arms out and touch each side. You know, it's, it's cozy. So, in the middle of February, when the coronavirus was still mostly in China, Addison and his family headed to Fort Lauderdale. They found a place to stay. The kids hung out and did homework during the day with Sally, while Addison made the drive across the bridge to the marina every day, getting the boat in shape for their trip, and eventually seeing the cruise ship, meeting passengers at his hotel, and finding out about the marine store employee. The coronavirus had arrived. So Addison hustled. He got the chameleon ready as fast as possible. And finally, on Monday, March 22nd, they were ready to set sail. And we had a perfect weather window on a Wednesday, that Wednesday, to head to the Bahamas. And at about 8 o'clock Monday night, you know, the Prime Minister of the Bahamas announced that they were closing the Bahamas to all foreign vessels, airplanes, everybody. They were just shutting down. And we were like, oh my gosh, we finally got the boat done. The boat is finally ready to go. And here, three hours later, there's absolutely nowhere to go. So that was sort of the biggest moment of just absolute sadness right then. And we were just so, just felt so defeated at that moment. Going on their trip was suddenly no longer an option, at least not the way they had planned it. But neither was giving up. You know, there was a certain like, oh, screw this, let's just go. And then I realized, oh wait, there's nowhere to go. This week, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have an apartment. I don't have a house. I don't even have a car. We sold our last car that we had driven across the country. So we had no car. We had a boat. We had a dinghy. And uh, I, I had no idea how to get out of the sort of emerging epicenter of Southern Florida. But one thing was for certain. They couldn't just stay there. I will say the one thing is... I didn't see a lot of people taking it very seriously in Florida as far as social distancing and all this stuff. Did you see a lot of spring breakers around? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were everywhere. I mean, just drunken masses of humanity, scantily clad. (laughs) Of course, this is when the whole thing's going on. And this is when all those interviews came out where they'd go and they'd interview these spring breakers and they'd be like, oh, man, I don't care if I get corona. If I get it, I get it, you know? And we were surrounded by those idiots. Jesus. So they set sail on what was a pretty short trip. They headed south, just past Miami, to Biscayne National Park. They found a small island and just anchored offshore there, waiting for the world to reopen to them. And that waiting 
it's not all bad. They go swimming, fishing, play with their dog. And it's a comfort to Addison to know that he and his family can, more or less, survive on their own. We're sitting there at anchor and the solar panels are powering our batteries and we have a water maker that makes fresh water from seawater and we're kind of self-contained. Usually there's nobody there. We have the entire place to ourselves and it's, there's nothing there. It's National Park. At one end there is sort of a, I don't know, it's a small building where I guess this park ranger stays. Like thieves casing a joint, Addison and his family have gotten to know the park ranger's shift schedule pretty well. We're not allowed to go ashore, but we do anyway, in the evenings or early morning when nobody's around. Everyone has their jobs, of course. The kids earn tokens for doing tasks, trading them in for treats and such. The other day I told them to make a list of things that they could do to earn tokens, you know, in addition to, like, do the dishes and all this kind of stuff. And my son, on the bottom of his list, he, he had written be on cop lookout duty. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm like teaching them to just totally, totally be on the lamb, like avoiding humanity and, and law enforcement. The days pass peacefully enough. Addison and his family are making the best of their stalled adventure. But the clock is ticking. When Addison and Sally decided to put all their money in a boat, their life savings became portable. And that meant freedom or so they'd hoped. They're still trying to figure out where to go next. St. John and the U.S. Virgin Islands, that's on their list, as is South Carolina, where they could dock at Sally's mom's house. The negative with both of those options is that neither of them are outside of the hurricane belt, which means that we either need to cancel our insurance or go somewhere else. You, you'd cancel your insurance because there's no point in paying exactly. for it if you're violating. If you know, if the boat is damaged by a hurricane in St. John or South Carolina, they're not going to pay for it because I'm where... That's your fault. It's my <laughs> fault. I'm where I'm not supposed to be. So uh, I would just cancel the insurance. But of course, then I have all of my life savings in an uninsured boat in an area where it may be destroyed by a hurricane. So, uh, you know, that's maybe not a great way to sleep at night. So what now? I mean, this was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime, but it's turning into a disaster. I wondered, did Addison have doubts? Was he replaying his decisions over and over in his head? I wasn't sure how to ask. Are you asking me, do I regret buying the boat? Uh, yeah, I mean, right now in this situation, I regret having all my money in this boat. I wish that I did not. Because I, who knows? I don't know. You know, the funny thing is the boat is supposed to be this thing that gives you freedom. And right now, it's this thing that makes me feel trapped. A boat is supposed to go places. It's supposed to sail places. And right now, because of the coronavirus and all the shutdowns, there's nowhere to sail. You can't go anywhere. So when I think about that, and I think about the money, and I think about sort of the feeling of being trapped and having nowhere to go, I totally regret it. I wish I didn't own this boat. I wish all the money that I put into this boat was sitting in my checking account right now and I could go wherever. Um, but I can't. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Still... Despite so much to worry about, Addison tries to focus on the day-to-day, on getting food, evading the park ranger, and, mostly, spending time with his family. One thing that helps, the kids, they don't see this as a failed trip at all. They don't know, really, what it's supposed to be like. They don't know that it's not supposed to be like this. They don't know that it was supposed to be French Polynesia. To them, Going down and anchoring off of an uninhabited island in the Biscayne Bay National Park, 20 miles south of Miami, with nobody around, completely isolated, is, you know, okay. It's it's only for <laughs> it's only for us that we're like it's not okay, but for them it's kind of like this is great. You know, they could swim and off the boat and go fishing and do all the things that we had talked about for two years. So I think that, I'm telling you, my kids are going to go back when, you know, 10 years from now, they're going to, when somebody brings up the coronavirus, they're going to be like, the coronavirus was awesome. It was the best time ever. You know, I mean, we just watched movies and it was great. I was on a boat, like in the middle of nowhere. And like, for them, it's going to be this fantastic thing. When I, when, when I think back to it, it's going to give me anxiety attacks. It's fun. That's Henry. He's eight years old the first mate. On the day we talked, he had earned 11 tokens. Can you tell me real quick how you got your token, what you did to earn them? Doing chores and stuff. Like uh, what kind of chores? Um, well, I flitzed, uh, I cleaned the bathroom. He doesn't know what flitzing is. Can um, you describe it? I don't know how you, that's correct. It's polishing the metal. The stainless steel. And, um... And so they flits on, passing the days and hoping that their trip isn't canceled. But hey, at least they aren't stuck at home like the rest of us, right? And that's, you know, that's the funny thing about this whole scenario is that there are people sitting in a studio apartment in Manhattan or Paris or Spain or somewhere. And they're like, gosh, what I wouldn't give for a completely self-contained, off-grid capable sailboat. And we could just sail off to some island somewhere where there's nobody around and sit there and just have solar panels and a water maker and we could catch fish and it would be amazing. We could just be away from all this. And like, that's, I'm that guy on that boat. I have that boat. I have that scenario. And yet I still can't escape to that island because they're all closed. The borders are all closed. And so I'm stuck. It's like having the ultimate escape plan and still being trapped by the coronavirus. A big thank you to Addison and Henry for sharing their story. In each episode, we're going to bring you a story from around the world of your life in isolation. 
emails, tweets, voice memos, anything you send us to tell us about what you're going through. And I want to share one of those with you today. Charlotte lives in New York City. She's alone in quarantine and currently has a clogged toilet. And it's because my cat threw up and I mopped it up with paper towels and threw them in the toilet because cat vomit is really nasty and it got clogged. And that was this morning. Um, And I've since used the toilet about 15 times. So I've got a pretty clogged toilet and I can't call a plumber because it's quarantine. Um, And I don't have a plunger. So I've just got to go in there. Good thing I've become an expert hand washer in the last month. Okay, I'm going in. Oh my god, it is so far back there. Oh my god. Okay, I've got paper towels. It's the little victories, right? Thank you, Charlotte, for sharing your story with us, and we wish you the best of luck. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced by Kate Mishkin and Vikram Patel. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and me. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. We want to stay connected to you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. Email us your story. We're also interested in hearing what life and isolation sounds like to you. We welcome your voice memo recordings, anything you want to send us. You can email them to pitches at neonhum.com. You can also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Happy Monday. We'll see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.